be from uh, Exodus. Um, there'll be two um, bits. So Exodus 19 verses 1 to 25 and Exodus 20 verses 18 to 21. Exodus 19 verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and said before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up now on Sinai, because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. 
but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Now, Exodus 20, verses 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning, and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They, dis- they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance, while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This is the end of today's reading. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who meets with us. And Lord, we pray that you would meet with us now and uh, make yourself known to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that your spirit would come and uh, reveal yourself to us, that we would know you, meet you, love you, uh, and be loved by you, Lord. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it's uh, lovely to be back uh, here with you this morning. And uh, as many of you know, I've been in Germany for uh, the past five weeks. Uh, And it was a wonderful time to be there in Germany and uh, for lots of reasons. But one of the great things uh, 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 that from that holiday, one of the great things that I experienced was just the chance to be there with friends. Perhaps you've had that experience to meet again friends that you've known, uh, to meet family that you know and love, and to be with them again. Uh, before I left, a number of people said to me, you know, what are you looking forward to doing? And, and since coming back, people have asked, what, what was the highlight of the trip? Uh, and I, I say again and again, I, I say, well, it was great to see the castles, Uh, It was great to see the history and to experience all those things. But the greatest gift, I think, was to spend time with people, to meet friends again uh, and to be loved and to be able to love them uh, face to face. Uh, It's a precious gift, isn't it, to be with people uh, who love us uh, and to be with people who we can love. And maybe, as I said, you can think of times when you've had those great experiences or perhaps you're sitting here this morning and looking forward to that yourself, to meeting with people uh, who you love and uh, who love you. Uh, you're thinking ahead to that time and you're waiting expectantly for that opportunity. Well, in many ways, this chapter of Exodus 19 is about that kind of meeting. But it's not about a meeting with just a friend uh, or a family member, but it's about a meeting with the God of heaven and earth. It's a meeting with the God who loves us uh, and who made us. Uh, As Victoria said, we're starting a series this morning, working through the second half of the book of Exodus. We started and we looked at the first half of the book of Exodus at the beginning of last year. And over the next uh, eight or ten weeks, we'll be working through the second half of the book. Uh, and, and seeing what God has to say to us from it. But in those first chapters, in chapters 1 to 18, we find Israel enslaved in Egypt. They're treated harshly by the Egyptians. And in their slavery, God raises up Moses uh, to rescue them, to deliver them. And God brings, uh, through Moses, he brings these plagues on Egypt because of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's hard-heartedness. Uh, and finally, God destroys uh, 
Pharaoh, he destroys the Egyptians and he brings his people out. Uh, He parts the Red Sea, he brings his people out and rescues them. And now at the beginning of chapter 19, the people have been rescued and God comes and speaks to Moses. It's three months after they've left the land of Egypt. Uh, They're encamped in the desert. And here God comes to them and makes this special commitment. He says in chapter Uh, 19 verse 4 he says you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt you've seen what I did to them you've seen how I carried you out on eagles wings and brought you to myself God comes to meet with the people and he says first of all remember what I've done you were enslaved you were trapped you were in uh, you were in this this darkness there was no way out I've come and I've rescued you I've delivered you I've delivered you on eagles wings you didn't do it You didn't have the energy to do it, but I've come and I've lifted you up. I've come, I've raised you up and carried you out, and I have brought you to myself. Why did God bring them out? He brought them out to bring them to himself. God says to the people of Israel that his great purpose was not simply to release them from slavery, but his great purpose was to bring them to himself. God wants to have a relationship with these people whom he has made and these people uh, whom he loves. God expands uh, on that idea in verse 5 and 6 when he says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words, God says to Moses, you are to speak to the Israelites. God says he's redeemed Israel for a purpose. The purpose is so that he would know them and they would know him. And the purpose is, he says, so that they might be three things, a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. All those three things really revolve around the same idea. They speak about a special relationship To be a treasured possession is to be valued by God. God owns the world. He owns the whole world. He owns everyone and everything in it. But God has brought these people, this nation, to himself in order that they might be a special possession, in order that they might know his special love. He loves them not because they're more special than other people, but because he's chosen to set his love upon them you look around your house and there'll be all kinds of things that you own but there'll be some things that are special possessions maybe it's because a particular person gave it to you maybe because you just for no known reason you just like it you enjoy it more than other things god says he has chosen these people he's called them in order that they might be his special possession. They might receive his special love. They'll be a treasured possession. They'll be a kingdom of priests. Uh, within Israel, the priests had a special function, and that function was to meet with God in the temple. They had the priests had privileged access to God. Uh, in a way, the priests had a kind of a double meaning within the life of the nation of Israel. They showed that access to God was possible. They could come into the, into the presence of God in the temple, but they also showed that access into the presence of God was restricted. Not everybody could come. Only the priests could come. 
And so the priests within Israel held out this hope that perhaps one day, perhaps one day, all the people might be able to meet with God and to be in his presence. God says, I've called you out of Egypt in, for that purpose, that you will be a treasured possession and that one day you will walk beside me and with me. And God says as well that they will be a holy nation. To be a holy nation is to be a nation set apart for God, again, for his special purpose and for his great love. The great hope, in other words, that God is, is giving to the people of Israel here is, is the reversal of what happened when sin entered the world. When sin entered the world, we were cut off from God. Adam and Eve could walk with God in the cool of the day. But when sin entered the world, we were cut off from God, barred from God's presence, longing to be reunited with God, but unable to find that reunification. We're estranged from God, enslaved to the sin that lives in us, enslaved to Satan. We're foreigners and exiles in a strange land, in a world marred by sin, cut off from the one person who loves us more than anything and can give us all that we need. God promises here to us, to the people of Israel, to bring us close, and not just for a meet and greet. God invites the people here not just, you know, to shake hands and to say hi and to, and to move on and to go on with the rest of their lives alone. But God invites the people to live with him and to know him and to have fellowship with him. What's special, what is special about meeting the people who love us and the people that we love? What's special is not just saying hello and moving on with the rest of our lives, but what's special is, is seeing them and embracing them and, and staying with them and, and living in their home and doing life together with them. And that's the extraordinary thing that God says to the people here. God invites the people into this relationship where he, they can know him and be embraced by him and live with him, walk with him, dwell with him. That's the great hope of the gospel. That's the great hope of Exodus 19, that though we're far off, we might be brought near, brought near to the God who loves us and the God who made us, brought near to the God whose very existence brings the satisfaction and the fulfillment of our very deepest longings. God says to Israel, God says to us, I've rescued you to bring you to myself. Well, in the rest of the chapter then, the people actually meet God. God lays out the agenda, the, the promise, the hope, and then in the rest of the chapter, the people meet God. But after those wonderful words of great hope and consolation, the rest of the chapter reads a bit like a kind of a letdown, to be honest. Uh, first of all, this meeting with God seems dangerous and distant. God promises to come and meet the people. They'll be a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. He's brought them to himself. But this meeting involves all this kind of careful preparation. According to verse 10, they have to consecrate themselves and wash themselves. They have to go through all this, this long and detailed process to get themselves ready to meet God. 
And God commands them to, even having done that, they have to put limits around the mountain. Verse 12, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you don't approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. It's like inviting someone to come to your house and then saying, I'm sorry, it's too dangerous for you to come inside. It's too dangerous for me to open the door. I'd love to have you come inside. I'd love to spend time with you, but don't come any further. And that same warning is repeated in verses 20 to 24. God says that it's crucial that the the people don't come too close because if they do, he'll strike out at them and they'll be destroyed. This meeting with God was a dangerous and distant meeting, but it was also a distressing meeting. The people meet with the God of heaven and earth, or at least they hear him speak to them from out of the cloud. But instead of being overjoyed, here's the great hope to meet God. Instead of being overjoyed, they're utterly terrified. And no wonder. There's thunder and there's lightning in verse 16. There's this thick cloud, there's a trumpet blast. And God comes onto the mountain with fire and cloud. The mountain's shaking. There's this earthquake and the trumpet blast grows louder and louder. This meeting with God, this longed-for meeting with God, is like a natural disaster. It's like enduring an earthquake or a raging bushfire. And look at how the people respond in chapter 20, verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and spoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Would you like to meet God? What a great blessing to hear God speak. Do you ever think that? Do you ever think, what I need today is just to hear God's voice speak to me? The people of Israel heard God speak from out of the cloud and out of the fire. And they said to Moses, don't let him ever speak again. It's too much. What's the problem? <laughs> the problem is that little word if in chapter 4, in verse 4 of chapter 19. God says to them, Well, look, I brought you to myself, I've carried you out. Now, if, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be for me my treasured possession. They need to be holy. God offers them this great hope to meet with him, to live with him, to walk with him, to be united with him. But there's an if. And unless they meet that if when God speaks, they're terrified. 
and the mountain shakes and the earth melts. This passage here in Exodus 19 shows us two great things. The hope, the joy, the privilege of meeting with God and the problem, our sin which keeps us from God. God can't just pick us up and plonk us in his presence because we'd be destroyed instantly in a moment. His hatred of sin, the sin that lives in us, would break out against us and we'd be destroyed. God has rescued the people from slavery in Egypt. He's done a great work. He's done a great wonder. But they need to be rescued from their sin before they can meet with God and be safe. We can easily deceive ourselves that the obstacles, the great obstacles to knowing God are really very small. Just a little sin here or there or, or, or what we need from God is just a little bit of a step up. Or we think that maybe God is really just sitting there waiting to receive us. You know, that God's, God's sitting there in his house, twiddling his thumbs, waiting for us to come running to him. But God says that the problem is our sin. Our sin keeps us from him and threatens to destroy us. Alternatively, we can reduce the good news of the gospel to God rescuing us from our life problems. The great barrier between us and God is the difficulties of life. But the problem that God needs to solve is our sin. Our love of ourselves more than him. Our love of ourselves more than others. Our love of the things that God has made more than God himself. Our trust in everything except God. Our failure to trust God at all. Our greed, our injustice, our false loves, our deceitfulness. The list goes on. We need God's forgiveness in order to approach God's mountain with safety. And we need God to radically transform us and cleanse us in order to live with God in complete safety. Without that great work of God, climbing up to God is like trying to climb high voltage power lines. It's deadly. Exodus 19 shows us the true picture We're objects of God's wrath and being near God is dangerous and we need God to do something special, something remarkable, something miraculous so that we can live with him. Well, it's a strange encounter, isn't it? It's a a strange mixture, this chapter. God promises the stars and then seems to deliver so little. But Exodus 19 is not the final word that the Bible has to say about God's great plan of salvation. 
But it's not until uh, the, the New Testament, it's not until the coming of Jesus that we can really see how this great hope in Exodus 19 and how this great challenge in Exodus 19 is finally solved. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, this same scene is repeated. It's described again, but this time it's compared with a much greater and much better meeting with God. If you've got your Bible there uh, in front of you, turn with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. Um, one of the last few books of the New Testament, one of the last few books of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 18. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. God says, the Holy Spirit says to us, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. To darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses himself said, I am trembling with fear. Instead, verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see what the writer of Hebrews is saying? He's saying you haven't come to that mountain. You haven't come to that mountain that's terrifying, full of darkness and fear and gloom and destruction. You haven't come to that mountain where you approach and you think, will I ever be able to make it? Can I touch this mountain and not die? The writer of Hebrews says, you haven't come to that mountain. If you've come to God through Jesus, you've come to another mountain. Not to a mountain set in the Middle East, some random country. You've come to the mountain of God to the church of the firstborn. Not to a mountain of fear and destruction, but to a mountain of celebration. Thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Not to a warning sign, don't come near, but to an open door, come in and be embraced by God. Not to a fear of judgment and condemnation and destruction, but to a better word 
in a better blood, a better mediator, a better priesthood. Not a word that speaks condemnation, but a word which speaks forgiveness and grace. Not an if, not a will I, can I, but a firm declaration, the spirits of righteous men made perfect. What God has promised in Exodus 19, God has done in Jesus. And if you trust Jesus, then that's the mountain where you are. It's not a mountain that you come to on Sunday morning. It's not a mountain that you have to climb every day. But it's a mountain that you live on. That God has brought you to on eagle's wings. And a mountain that he will keep you on by his great power and love. Someone I know wrote a song uh, they were telling me the other day in which they said they wished that there was a wormhole through space and time that could get them to the friend on the other side of the world. Their friend lives in another country and they said, I wish, I wish that there was a wormhole that could get me to them and so I could just jump in there and I could be with them at a moment's notice. It's a great thought, isn't it? But what's the wormhole that can get us to God? You know, to travel across the world is an extraordinary feat, isn't it? It's an extraordinary undertaking. But to get to God, it's impossible. What's the wormhole through space and time that can get us to God? The message of the gospel is that that's Jesus. And we come to him. And the moment we come to him, we come to God. Well, one day you and I will meet God face to face. All of us will meet God face to face, whether we want to or not. And as we think about that meeting, two mountains stand in front of us. On one side, there's that mountain of Exodus 19 a meeting with God full of terror, full of judgment, full of destruction. Or another mountain, the mountain of the Lord, the path of which is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you belong to Jesus, you're on that mountain. If you don't belong to Jesus, then come, walk up the mountain to God and receive his love. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you rescued Israel and made such great promises to them. And that despite their sin and our sin, that you met with them in the desert, that you showed a way, 
that you spoke to them from on the mountain and that you promised something better. Something better so that they only together with us could be made perfect. Lord, thank you that that something better is the Lord Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection, his life, his holiness, his perfection, his love. Thank you that when he came speaking, Lord, they were words that we could hear because he spoke to us in a human voice full of grace and truth. And Lord, we pray that those words that he spoke, that you still speak, would be words that we can hear and love and enjoy and delight in words that we can receive and trust. Lord, we ask that each one of us would be people who live on that greater mountain, the mountain of the Lord, through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.